0: The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission! No, it's halftime.
1: You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now.
0: You just gotta keep living, man. L I V I N.
1: Arkansas wins the national championship.
0: What I say comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion.
1: I have been trying
0: to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. More democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast,
1: presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Phil Elson on a much-deserved vacation, so I will be heading up the show today. One-man wrecking crew on this Monday. Got a whale of the show for you today. Brad Crawford, 24-7 24-7 Sports College Football. He's going to join us at 1235. Pete Rulier, Hog Sports. He's set to join us at 135, kind of recapping Dave Van Horn's press conference. Tommy mentioned it on The Morning Rush last week how you really get a tell-all from DVH on these end-of-year press conferences after the season concludes. He's he sometimes alerts the media of a guy's lingering injury that he's been dealing with or stuff that you might not have known about. So excited to talk to Pete. About that in hour number two. At the station here, the door is shut. I am locked in both mentally and literally. I just wanted to do that today. It's been a while since I've done a show solo, so we're going to see how this thing goes today. The first conversation that I want to get into, first kind of let me set the stage for what we got going the rest of the week before I dive into that. I think Andy Hodges, our hitthatline.com editor, is going to join me in studio tomorrow. haven't gotten confirmation on that just yet but I think he's going to join us tomorrow. I do know Andrew Hutchinson of Hogbeat and Rivals is going to join me in studio on Wednesday. That was confirmed. Also, really excited about this. Matt Jones, former Arkansas quarterback, is going to join me in studio on Thursday. Got a chance to play volleyball, water volleyball, with Matt last week, and we talked a little bit. So he's uh, going to be kind enough to join us in on Thursday. So that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the week. The conversation I want to get to first today has to start with our halftime poll question, which is, are you frustrated with Arkansas's non-conference schedule this season? That being Portland State, which who you started with first, Colorado State, who you lost to last year, Western Kentucky, now Ty Story School, and San Jose State. You don't think college football when you think those four schools. That's just not the first thing that pops in your mind. You don't think college football football dominance when it pops in those schools you get two buys this year which is kind of nice and initially when I saw the schedule and you knew about Michigan pulling out which by the way we're going to get into that a lot of media members nationally wise forget that Michigan pulled out and are making fun of Arkansas schedule and Arkansas has a viable reason for having that because you can't really pull together a power five school with the time allotted after Michigan pulled out and so they were given, I believe, a waiver and allowed to play those non-Power 5 schools like they are this year. Folks, this is a blessing in disguise. And I know for season ticket holders listing right now, you're not that happy about the home slate. Texas A&M is in Arlington where it usually is. AT&T Stadium, a game that hopefully i will get to attend this year. You get Missouri and Little Rock. But as far as your home game goes SEC-wise... You get Mississippi State and you get Auburn, which Auburn I'm going to be interested to see. Mississippi State lost a lot of talent. Montez Sweat, Jeffrey Simmons, quarterback who's escaping Nick Fitzgerald. So we're going to see how they go in year two. But the, the games coming into Fayetteville aren't that tantalizing. Mainly because there's only two of them, folks. There's only two of them. So as a season ticket holder whether you're a, mem- a member of the Razorback Foundation, when you're asked to donate however much money you're donating, you're looking at that it's like, man, is this worth it? And I thought, Hunter, your check, I can't remember if it was on this program. It wasn't on halftime, but I think it was on the morning rush. Him talking to John and Tommy about, hey, you want to get in now because he's a believer in Chad Morris. He thinks this team is going to be good next year. And you get Notre Dame next season. I know that's on the road. And then Texas... In what is that? 2020? No, it's 2021. So there are some good games coming up. You got Oklahoma State, Memphis, a couple other good games coming up on the schedule. And his idea was to get in now because you don't know if you're gonna be able to get in when it's led. As you probably know, there are tickets available: season tickets, single game tickets for this upcoming season. Because it's just not as attractive of a home slate schedule as it has been in the year past. But folks. Let me go back to my original point. This is a blessing in disguise. And I know they're part of having home games is to have raucous crowds. It's to have ranked teams coming into your stadium. It's so you can blow the place out. Like Greg McElroy said you did back in 2010 when he called it the toughest environment I've ever played in. Chad Morris's team went two and 10 last year. Two and 10. Year number two is going to be a very telling year. Yes, he got his first full recruiting class in here. Top 25 in the country. Second best, according to most outlets, in Arkansas football history. Most four stars they've ever had. I think that's what Trey and Danny said. This is a huge year. I know you want to say that you want to play power five teams. I know you want a really good schedule to see, to attend. I get that. Trust me, I do. I remember the 2010-2011 days. I remember 06. I remember those massive crowds at home. Game day in 06. Still haven't had game day. Every other SEC team match. You're not getting it this year. Sorry. I remember what Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium was like when this team was relevant in the SEC West. They're not going to get that back to that point playing a daunting non-conference schedule in year number two. You're lucky Notre Dame isn't on this team's schedule this year. You're lucky Texas isn't on this team's schedule next year. Yes, you want to have competition. Yes, you want to play with teams that will make you better despite you may losing. You get that in the SEC. You get that on a weekly basis. You get that when you have to go to Death Valley to take on the LSU Tigers. Surely, you know, you get that when you go to Alabama and you take on Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. You get that when Auburn comes into town. Gus Malzahn. You get that. So why would you want more of that outside of just the game being more fun, outside of the games possibly being more memorable? But if you're looking at not from a fan perspective, I know it's hard sometimes because everyone listening right now is an Arkansas Razorbacks fan. But if you're looking what's best for the football program as a whole, this non-conference schedule is great. Because if you can't win these four games, maybe Chad Morris isn't the guy. And that seems like a a statement. It's like, Ty, why are you saying that in year two? They need to win every single non-conference game this year and at least one SEC game. At least you can't go over two straight years in the Southeastern Conference, period. I know it's a difficult league. I know I've just been talking about how monstrous of the teams you're going to be playing this year. You just can't go over. So these non-cons paired with the toughest conference, the toughest, mind you, division in college football. You got to alleviate some of the pain. You got to alleviate some of the difficulty. Because you're going to get it this year. Yes, it's going to be better than last year. Yes, the team's going to be more prepared. Yes, the team's going to have a better understanding of the playbook on offense. That applies to defense as well with John Chavis's squad. You still need some games that you can call throwaway games that you just know they're going to win. You didn't even have that last year because you lost to Colorado State. You lost to North Texas. You weren't able to win the ones that Everyone on the planet thought you were going to, regardless if they have any affiliation with the Arkansas program or not. Scheduling is the biggest topic of conversation right now, regardless if it's Arkansas-related, and I'm talking pertaining to the SEC, because it, as Phil and I and so many others before us have characterized this point in time, it's Mount Rushmore season, and so people latch on to certain things. You think about Paul Feinbaum, who is the mouth of the South, the voice of the SEC, regardless if you like him or not, he is the biggest conversation starter in this part of the country, in our industry. And that's what he's been talking about with whether it's national people, whether it's SEC writers, SEC scheduling. Now, Arkansas, along with Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky, were named for the easiest non-conference schedules by ESPN's Chris Lowe. And he's 100% right. Now, one of these is not like the other, i.e. being Alabama. They get Duke at a non-con this year, and people are just in a tizzy the fact that Alabama, the Mount Rushmore, along with Clemson and maybe Ohio State, we'll see what happens after Urban leaves of college football. Their schedule. They get Duke, New Mexico State, Southern Miss, and Western Carolina. So they are fulfilling their obligation to the SEC playing a Power 5 school. But people are in uproar that Alabama does not have a difficult path. Folks, you realize who they played in years past? They played Penn State, Florida State, USC. They have played some Titans, past Titans really, of college football on their non-conference schedule. I'm honestly surprised David Cutcliffe and Duke want to play them. I think Cut Cutcliffe's the coach there because he just wants an award at Tennessee. It's not easy if you're Alabama to schedule teams because no one wants to play you because of how dominant you've been the last couple of years. Yet they found a way to schedule home-and-own home series with Texas, West Virginia, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma in the upcoming years. Then look over to Clemson, who most college football people think that they're have a pretty easy path to the national championship. Now they get South Carolina, I believe that game's on the road this year in Columbia, and they also host Texas A&M. So that should be a a pretty good game. I'm I'm curious to see what Jimbo does in year number 2. If they can muster a win out there. But their home, or excuse me, their conference schedule is atrocious. The ACC right now is bad. I know we make fun of the Pac-12 on the show a lot, but the ACC, you remember when Jimbo and Dabo a couple years back said that this was the best conference in college football and the SEC as a whole just laughed at them and now it's really showcased itself? Their conference schedule is a joke. And so I want to tie that back into the point, the idea that if you're Arkansas, your non-conference being lackluster is okay because you're not to the likes of Clemson. You're not to the likes of Alabama. You're not even to the likes of Auburn right now. And that irritates fans because of what happened with Gus Malzahn here. But you're not to that level. A few years were. A few years back, you were. 2010, 2011. Some people say 06. you're just not right now Michigan pulled out that was huge that was monumental you're telling me you'd want to go to the big house this year to play Jim Harbaugh's Wolverines they would beat Arkansas by 50 regardless if Shea Patterson had a good game or not that defense would eat Ben Hicks or Nick Starkle I'm assuming it's gonna be Hicks alive eat them alive And I hate saying that as a guy that loves competition and as a guy that loves to measure up, that, that, that should hurt. That should hurt you as an Arkansas fan that you're glad you're avoiding a tough college football team. Something should absolutely be just ticking you off. Just thinking about that. But you know what? That's where you're at right now. That's exactly where you're at right now. Again, you get Texas, BYU, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Memphis. Some decent non-conference games coming up. Which you should be excited about. And if you're a believer in Chad Morris, you hope that this football team can eventually compete in those upcoming games. You're number three. Alabama, LSU at home. I said no, year number two is going to be a telling year. I feel like every year is going to be a telling year under Chad Moore, especially these first-year years. But these buys, the bad schedule in terms of the non-cons that you face is up here, that's okay. And the Razorback Foundation and Scott Verity and then Hunter check is the athletic departments They're in a tight spot because think about this. How much does a crappy non-conference schedule coupled with only two Fayetteville games And a 2-10 and season season coming off that last year hurt ticket sales. It absolutely does. You're trying to get people to donate all this money. You're trying to get fan support. It's hard to get that with those different characteristics, those different obstacles facing your football team. I know Tommy always references that there's plenty of seats open with the Razorback Foundation. And he's right. They're not going to sell out this year. They probably won't sell out a game. I'd be shocked if they sold out Mississippi State or Auburn. They would have to go on a tear. It's hard to boost fan support with this schedule. But again, you aren't the focus of the football team. And that hurts. That hurts saying that you should hurt. That should hurt hearing that, that your, your goals, your, your feelings aren't the number one thing, but that's just, that's just the case. What's good for this football team is not getting absolutely waxed in week one on the road somewhere, or week two for that matter. You hope you don't get waxed against Ole Miss in that one. These guys need confidence, and they're not going to get confidence going on the road to Ann Arbor and getting eaten alive. They're not going to get confidence going on the road to, or playing Texas at home. And Sam Ellinger just stuffing it down their throats. Sometimes there are positives. We don't like talking moral victories that much on the show. But sometimes there are positives in losing. But it's really hard to find coming off a too intense season. You could find some positives out of last year's squad. I think Rakeem Boyd going to get into that with Brad Crawford coming up. He really likes Rakeem Boyd. it has got him rated as a top 20 running back. How about that? Injuries kind of plagued his his entirety of the season last year. But there are some positives out of last year. But you want to have more positives than negatives. And you didn't have that last year. And if you got an elite non-conference schedule to go along with the SEC schedule that you already have to play year in, year out, that would be bad. Everybody, you're lucky to get Kentucky this year. Now, I know they had their best season since, what, the 70s this past year. I think they won 10 games. You're lucky to get Kentucky after they lose Josh Allen, the best defensive player they had, and after losing Biddy Snell, who was a stud SEC running back. Arkansas is fortunate to get them. Now, I can't tell you every characteristic of that team in blue and white. I can't tell you if Stoops will have them ready to go for their matchup with Arkansas. And I can't tell you if Terry Wilson will be able to transform as a passing quarterback. But folks, this year, it's not as bad as it could have been the schedule-wise. I know you go to Alabama and you go to LSU, and that's never fun when you have to do that in the same year. Luckily, if memory serves me correct, you still get LSU after their Bama game. Which I know there's always people. Oh, this would be the year that LSU finally beats Alabama and wins the SEC West and goes to the SEC Championship. It ain't gonna happen at Bryant Denny Stadium. Period. Period. I like Joe Burrow. I like that defense. I want to say that team lost Devin White along with Greedy Williams. I know they lost a cornerback as well, and I forget because they had so many studs back there. Who all they lost? but they ain't going to beat them. So you, the schedule plays out not for a 10 or even an eight-win season. NCAA football I think so. We'll get into that in hour number two. But it's at least conceivable that this team might make a bowl game. And if you had daunting non-conference opponents ahead of you, it wouldn't even be in that category. And you should be thankful for that. Absolutely thankful for that. It could be a lot worse, folks. And again, you look back to last year and you say, Ty, it can't get any worse than that. How about going 0 for 2 in two years in the SEC? I'd say that's pretty rough. Now that would be over the course of two years, obviously. So maybe people would look at that and say, well, that was two-year period, so it's not as bad as one particular loss, a loss against a siddle or one particular year. Even if you were a man it's win non-conference. They got to get a, a conference win and they got to be healthy. You're not going to, and I'm not saying that they're going to go injury three through the non-conference games, but I'll tell you what, if they, pl- if they played the likes of Michigan or Texas or some of their opponents that they have in the upcoming years this year and then still had to play the schedule day away, man, you don't want to do that. Jeff Taylor and his staff over at Jeff's Clubhouse has a fantastic catering service and they can almost cater up to any size. Give them a call today at 479-308-9123 or check them out on Facebook or visit online at theclubhousefs.com. Now back to the halftime pod. Let's go. Brad Crawford, 24-7 sports college football analyst, kind of enough to join us on this Monday. Brad, I want to start with what we were talking about before I had you on and what I texted you about, wanting to have you on about. It's you previewed every SEC's most important game of this season. For Arkansas, you picked Kentucky. No Josh Allen, no Benny Snell, but the Hawks do have to face Terry Wilson down there in Lexington. Why do you think that's the most pivotal game for the Razorbacks this upcoming season?
0: Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me, Ty. Um, I think there's two, I guess you can call them favorable SEC games this year for the Razorbacks in getting the six wins. My, my preseason win total for Arkansas is six. I think they're going to get over that Vegas number of five and get to a bowl during Chad Morris's second season, mainly because I have them winning at Ole Miss and winning at Kentucky. And that second game in Lexington is that swing game. You know, there's a very good chance that Arkansas is four and one you know, heading into that bye week. If they can beat Ole Miss, probably a loss A and M and you know, win the rest of those games in September during the non conference late. And that sets up that bye week before Kentucky, a Wildcats team that loses much of the bulk off last season's team.
1: So for Ole Miss week two, it's a game Arkansas has to go down for Oxford. I know they're putting in Matt Corley, got a new quarterback. He lost a lot of wide receiver talent from last year's team, but I don't know if I have the the gall to pick Arkansas in that game. Why do you think the Razorbacks are going to pull it out there in Week 2?
0: Yeah, I don't think the Ole Miss defense is going to be really solid. You know, they rank toward the bottom of my position group uh, unit rankings heading into fall practice in August. Uh, Lost several starters there, and Ole Miss really has not been good on that side of the ball in recent years. I think, too, that that's going to give Arkansas a chance to – Maybe find itself offensively. Uh, ben Hicks is going to be the guy, in my opinion. Um, not not sold on Starkle coming in and and you know getting those first team reps. I think Hicks is going to be the guy for the Razorbacks. You're looking at a triple headed backfield, you know, with Boyd, Whaley, and Chase Hayden. That you know might be one of the best position groups in the SEC West. And of course, the wide receiver group uh, with those guys coming in, including Trey Knox, going to be loaded. So. That's a game that Ole Miss is probably a field goal to small touchdown favorite, but uh, I think Arkansas wins that and you know starts the season 2-0. and oh.
1: Brad Crawford, 24-7 Sports College football analyst here with us on Halftime. Brad, you said something interesting there talking about the quarterback battle. I think Hicks is going to be the starter, but a lot of people are under the belief that Nick Starkle is going to supplant himself over Hicks at some point in the season. Do you think Hicks has that starting position throughout the, its entirety, or do you think Starkle will eventually take it over?
0: Yeah, I think both guys are obviously going to probably share snaps in September. I think Hicks is going to exit ball practice as the guy. Um, he's more, in my opinion, Chad Morris' quarterback. Um, Chad Morris you know, doesn't really ask for a ton of running um, in his offense, and I think Hicks is a guy... While, while he can move it on the ground a little bit, he's not like Starkle. He's more of the, you know, pocket passer type. Um, very good career at SMU, and like I said, that was kind of the first big fish that Morris went after to, you know, change this quarterback dilemma he has right now in Fayetteville, and Starkle was kind of a just an icing on the cake ad. Um, coming from Nick's camp, though, you know, he would not have signed with Arkansas had he not thought he would get some reps this fall. So I think it's one of the more intriguing uh, quarterback position battles in the
1: sec. So you did a top 25 running backs list oh, a couple yep. weeks back and you had Rakeem boy all the way to up at number 20. And I, I initially, when I read that article, I was kind of surprised at that. And I know he showed flashes. He showed glimpses last year, Brad, but why do you think he has the potential to be a top 20 running back in college football?
0: Yeah, I think he's a guy who's eventually going to be playing in the NFL. You know, you don't, you don't see many um, kind of off the paper NFL guys, at running back in the SEC this season, obviously Najee Harris, a uh, kid at Vanderbilt, those are two guys that kind of jump off the page. But Raheem Boyd's a guy who I think as long as he continues to develop into that premier, you know, running back one type guy for the Razorbacks, he's going to have a good year. A lot of that is, is going to fall honestly on how Arkansas's O-line performs. I think there's two guys returning there who had starting spots last year. So um, even, even bringing Ben Hicks back into the equation – the Arkansas offense is going to go as far as that, you know, offensive front allows.
1: So, Brad, Arkansas announced that Nolan Richardson would be on Bud Walton's court this pat or this upcoming season, and I'm going to shift gears and then come back to football for a sec. And then they announced that Eddie Sutton, who's also a former Arkansas head coach, would be on the practice facilities court there in Fayetteville. With Darren McFadden, it's just weird to see a running back don the number 5. I know he never won a Heisman. I never I know he never won a national championship. But it it just doesn't feel right to me to see another guy wear that uniform. Do you have a criteria when you retire a jersey in college football? Do you have an opinion on that?
0: I mean, I think as far as Arkansas football are concerned, you know, I'm I'm only 32 years old. I've I've followed the Razorbacks from from about you know early high school to now, I mean he's the best player uh, that that I've seen come through Fayetteville. Uh, very very fun to watch too. Let me, let me tell you a story about Darren McFadden. So I'm I'm a Gamecock fan, as as, as most folks know. Before I got into this, and you know I, I've never seen a running back. I don't know if you remember, he had about 375 against the Gamecocks. You know, several years ago, yeah. Felix Jones, I think, ran for 250 that game. You know, I, I've never seen a guy coming out of that wild hog formation who was just getting 15 yards to carry, whether it was left, right, you know, off, off tackle. It, it was just amazing to watch a guy who, like you said, never won the Heisman, but he does have a Doak Walker. Um, he was he was very fun to watch. And as far as racerback football lore is concerned, I think his number should be retired.
1: Talking college football, Brad Crawford at b Crawford two four seven on Twitter. Brad, I think we have a fantastic, stellar Heisman race ahead of us. You think about two at Bama t Clemson, Easton at Washington, Justin Fields at Ohio State, Justin Herbert at Oregon. Is this the best QB-centered Heisman race? Sorry, Jalen Hurts. Don't want to forget him. Is this the best QB-centered Heisman race that we've had in quite some time?
0: I think it is. And, you know, one name you didn't mention, Sam Ellinger. That's another, another one. guy, multi-year yep. starter at Texas, man. He's going to have a monster year, beat George in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, obviously, I think besides defensive end, you know, looking across National college football—it's probably the most talent-rich position this season. You know, uh, you know, we we've kind of mentioned a, a, as national analysts in recent years that college football has lost some of its star power, and a lot of the preseason conversation revolves around, you know, the the, the big-name head coaches. I think this year the players kind of, you know, take rightfully what's theirs, and you know, you, you you have guys like Tua and Trevor Lawrence and Jalen Hurts, you know, stealing some of the headlines. If if I had to handicap that position right now, though, I, I would say uh, there three quarterbacks as finalists, and that would be Trevor Tua and Jalen Hurts.
1: Brad, you mentioned Sam Ellinger. I don't know if you caught the comments from Baker Mayfield. on. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So my buddy Tyler McComas does <laughs> sports talk over in Norman with Ted Lehman, and they had Baker on, and they asked him about Ellinger, and, El- and <laughs> Baker, as he often does... Let his mind be known. He was honest and open about his opinion. I don't like him, and and he doesn't like me. And I hope he knows that I don't like him. Do you have a problem with an NFL quarterback calling out a college quarterback, even though they played against each other? Is that just kind of a wash for you?
0: Look, I mean Baker, he's a great player, but he couldn't be any less likable as far as a person. I mean, just just from the comments he makes and and, and some of the some of the antics he made, you know, while a Sooner's quarterback, you know, with the Jockstrap thing against Texas, and you know some of the gestures he made. I, I, it's just you know um, he kind of created a personality, and now he has to live with that and and live up to the you know brand that that he has created. Um, I don't I don't know why he's he's worried about you know some of the head to head battles he had with Ellinger in high school and and that sort of thing. It, it's just kind of strange to me that he picks out a Texas quarterback and and continues you know the the horns down mantra that he has done the Last three
1: or four seasons. He still hates Texas, even though he's from there. He just hates the Longhorns, man. I want to go back to the Heisman talk we were talking about and kind of change it up a little bit. For me, Tyron Matthew in 2011 was the best college football player, and I thought his impact on the game was absolutely incredible. And I thought he was the best chance a defensive player had to win the Heisman Trophy in recent years, Brad. Do you think that trophy is just an offensive award now? Or can you see a defensive player winning that award in the next few years?
0: I think it's definitely a quarterback slash running back dominated award. Um, you know, we even even running backs and wide receivers, it, it's, it's very rare for those guys to win them. I think Derek Henry was the last running back, I want to say, to win the most prestigious award. I agree with you, man. In, in 2011, seeing Tyron Matthew, I think he had eight forced fumbles in one year. We see that the thing that was... Uh, pretty interesting about him is he also moonlighted on special teams and had a couple. I think punt return scores. Yeah. That's what it's going to take, man, for a either a cornerback or safety hybrid type player. He's going to have to play a little on offense, a little on special teams to kind of, you know, have those 85 yards scintillating plays. You know, you you take Quentin Williams last year for Alabama and and Josh Allen at Kentucky. Those are two guys who I think you know warranted national player of the year votes, but but neither of them had you know kind of game-changing highlight-worthy plays that were on a national stage so um it's, it's going to take a, a big special teamer type type guy to beat to that um i not a voter but if i was i would certainly vote for a defensive player i've, I've got no issues with it
1: talking college football brad croft for 24 7 sports here on halftime brad sec media days coming up shortly i know that really kicks things off for college football and and especially our region, people getting really excited about that. Which SEC player are you most looking forward to hearing from down there at SEC Media Days?
0: You know, I'd like to see what Jake Bentley has to say ahead of his senior season at South Carolina. You know, the off-season narrative around Bentley has been, you know, he decided to come back to school when he didn't like his late-round NFL draft grade. He is one of the few three-year starters in the SEC at, at quarterback this season. And you know you've seen the posters on the wall throughout the offseason season that the Gamecocks have the toughest schedule in the country, one of only two teams to play Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. So um, I think of all players who are going to be in Hoover, pretty sure Jay's going to be there. Um, I'm, I'm interested in just finding out, you know, what what his thoughts are ahead of the season. You know, Will, Will Mustamp's fourth year, he's won more games than anybody over three seasons at South Carolina. But the problem is. Uh, Jake Bentley and Champ aren't beating the ranked team, so there's plenty of opportunities this year for the Gamecocks to be kind of one of those surprise teams in the East.
1: Brad, let me top off the interview with this. I opened up the show talking about scheduling, and specifically for Arkansas. They're coming off a 2-10 season. They were atrocious yep. last year. They don't have a single Power 5 with Michigan backing out. Do you think it's beneficial the fact that the Razorbacks avoided a power five team and really just have a lackluster non conference schedule in year two of Chad Morris?
0: I'm going to be honest. If if I'm Chad Morris, I I really like the schedule and how it sets up. But a lot of fans, you know, question scheduling and um, you know not not wanting to pay premium price for you know games against Alcorn State and those kind of teams. You know, um, teams like Arkansas who. Who finished two and ten last year? They're they're trying to get to a bowl game. Chad Morris is doing everything he can to show forward and upward trajectory, and I think getting to five or six wins this year, no matter who they beat, it's going to do that. Um, a lot of fans don't care who you beat as long as you get to the postseason, and I think a lot of the outsiders just don't understand how hard it is to schedule. You know, very good Power Five teams. Greg Byrne at Alabama is is having a problem right now. Bama's AD, you, you know, scheduling those. Home and home type series against you know quality top twenty five competition.
1: Yeah, no one wants to play bam. I get that. Brad Crawford, twenty four seven sports, college football, and a lot of SEC football. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at b Crawford twenty four seven. Brad, thanks for hopping on with us, bud. Have a good summer, man. Jeff's Clubhouse has the best brunch in town every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., bottomless mimosas, an endless buffet, and so much more. 2801 Old Greenwood Road in Fort Smith. More Halftime Pod coming at you. All right, I alluded to it earlier. NCAA football 2014 updated won 2019 rosters. Has Arkansas going 8-4? That's coming up on 3 Up, 3 Down.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, good night. What is three up and three down mean
1: to you, Airman? End of the inning, strike three. Eight and four, folks. I almost fell out of my chair when I initially saw that. Eight and four. Eight and four. So SGV SG4 Sports puts out projected records of a lot of different teams. And here's the reaction after NCAA 2014... With 2019 updated rosters, projected Arkansas eight and four.
0: They would finish eight and four, four and four in the SEC. Again, I think that is probably better than what this team does in real life, and I think Arkansas fans will be really happy with an eight and four season. We'll see how it plays out, but that's what NCAA football said about it. And even the games that they lost, a lot of those they showed a lot of fight in, like the Alabama game. They looked really improved. So we'll see again if, if it plays out that way in real life, or if. This game is wrong. I'd love to get your thoughts on this video down in the comments below. Anybody out there think Arkansas could actually pull
1: this off and go 8-4? and four? So, so that's my first up for 3-up, three 3-down. Three it has to be the fact that NCAA football 2014 with updated 2019 rosters with the simulated season has Arkansas going 8-4 with wins over Kentucky, Auburn, Mississippi State, and Mizzou. And we just had Brad Crawford on. And he talked about how he thinks Arkansas is going to win road games at Kentucky and at Ole Miss. He doesn't like Ole Miss's defense, and he's not too fond of Kentucky's team. So that's interesting. I think that's a lot more realistic than the Razorbacks going 8-4. and four. But hey, maybe NCAA football is right. We'll see. They have them losing to Ole Miss 27-20, Texas A&M 38-35, LSU 48-34, and an overtime loss to Bama. Last year before the season, I thought conservatively the Razorbacks were going to go 6 and 6. We all know how last year went. They went 2 and 10. At this point, I got them going 5 and 7. Now, I have not mustered up the courage to pick out which conference game I think the Razorbacks are going to pull out. But I do think they're going to go 5 and 7. I think they're going to get those four non-conference wins and I think they're going to get an SEC win. And that's being conservative. And I think the Vegas line, don't hold me to this, but I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, it was five and a half. Man, that's a, that's a line. I take the over of it was four and a half, but five and a half, that's a no, that's a no play for me. And I don't bet, I haven't, or, or just a reminder, I haven't bet in quite some time. That is a no play for me. If, if Arkansas, when season win total was set, At five and a half, that's just too much. Man, yeah, don't touch that. But again, NCAA football 2014 has Arkansas projected eight and four with updated 2019 rosters. All right, John mentioned on the morning rush, the NBA has banned the term owner. They're using the term governor instead, and this is a bad for me. And this is one of those topics I'm not going to get in depth to. I don't want to become... Clay Travis or Dan Levitard or whatever political sports figure that likes to tie in a lot of politics. That's not really me. I don't have enough knowledge to get into that conversation. Phil and I were joking about that during our inaugural show, how we weren't really going to talk politics. And I think it's best, most of the time it's best served that you don't talk politics on a sports radio station. So, but this is the one time where I'm just diving into it slightly. I'm just poking the bear a little bit. I just don't get it y'all. I just don't get it. And maybe that's me being a white male. And I try to look at things a lot of different ways. College really taught me that, especially going to a predominantly white private school with not a lot of outside knowledge or outside experience. College really changed that for me, but I just, I don't understand it. Does that I just don't get it? We, we, This is from Adam Silver to TNT Sports. He said, we moved on from the term years ago within the league. We call our team owners governor and the team alternate governors, he told TNT Sports. I've always seen owner pop up on ESPN or TNT a ticker, and are they going to change that to governors now? There's a really good book, regardless if you agree with it or not, behind this concept. It's called $40 Million Slaves. It's written by an award-winning New York Times writer, William Roden. I read this for my sports journalism class when I was at school at the University of Arkansas. It's fascinating. Again, it's not necess- I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's just interesting to hear this guy think athletes are $40 million slaves, which I'm assuming many, if not everyone would disagree with that sentiment. But it is a good book. And for those interested in this topic, I would encourage you to read it. Just got to cut the conversation off there. I just, that's a down for me. All right, back to the ups. Joe Johnson, ISO Joe. Guy had 27 points, 16 rebounds, and four assists in his big three death. The rest of his team had 24 points. Oh, yeah, he hit the game winner, too. Joe Johnson, he is there. And as you said, point game, here for the triplets. This could be the end of it. ISO
0: Joe. Uh Lose by Brown. Hello. And wins it for the triplets in game number one. Joe Johnson, Joe Cool, Iso
1: Joe, Joey Bucket, whatever you want to call him,
0: Joe gets it done once again. Back like he never left.
1: I wonder if he was one of the more underappreciated Arkansas basketball players because he was at the end, or the, excuse me, the beginning of the 2000s. I wonder if he was underappreciated. An All-American, I think he was third team All-American by some publication, was a stone cold killer during his time in the NBA. He plays with Al Jefferson, who, if you remember, originally committed to the University of Arkansas. Gennaro Pargo, former Razorback. Man, he could stroke it. And Lisa Leslie is their head coach. The triplets, I don't know if that pays homage to the Ron Brewer, Delft, and Sidney Moncrief. I don't know if there's a connection in there. They just decided they were going to go with because that's a three-on-three team. But he had a game winner. The guy can still play. Still play. Still getting it done. All right, my second down... People were really in uproar and angry with Luke Smith. And you probably don't know that name, just 1st hearing name. Luke Smith is that Louisville pitcher who was caught on ESPN dropping the F-bombs. And I may have a take here that not many people agree with. But I think some will. We always praise the old way of sports. We always say, oh, the NBA wasn't as good back when Bird and Magic and Michael and those guys were playing. It's not as physical. It's not as tough. There's too much kindness. There's too much camaraderie between non-teammates in the NBA today. We praise guys like Gary Payton, Michael Jordan, the Christian Leitners. I know he's college, but the, and then outside of the NBA, Deion Sanders and on and on and on. I have zero problem with what he did I don't and again there's a moral issue that you could tie into this and there's certain other things but if you do that you got to do it with every other facet of sports and every other portion of sports and I don't think you really want to do that we don't know what the Vanderbilt player was saying to him because the only camera view that I saw was solely focused on Luke Smith By the way, crazy hair. Don't know if I agree with it. Dude's got crazy hair. So we have no idea what the Vanderbilt player was saying back to Luke Smith. He could have been talking about his mom. He could have been saying the exact same thing. But we don't know. And so there's people who are just angry and ticked off that this was caught on camera. And I get the camera portion. You probably don't want to broadcast that. I get that. Sometimes it happens. You see it all the time. It's not really in NFL games because of the the helmet interference that you can't see players' mouth a lot. But I don't. I just I'm not. I don't. I can't take big issue with this. I want those who are listening right now who have played sports at any period of their life, and this would probably be. I'm, I'm assuming you don't. You didn't start using these words till high school. I could be wrong. I think I uttered my first cuss word when I was in sixth grade at a Baylor baseball game, of all things. A Baylor baseball game. And I really didn't start using the words that I probably shouldn't until I was in high school. I think probably 10th or 11th grade. But think about the different sports you've competed in over the years and the opponents you faced off in and the words you probably shouldn't have said that you did. I don't curse at people I don't know. I'm more apt to probably say a word I shouldn't to a friend or something on the basketball court or on the, on the tee. I just, that's more of my element, more of what I feel comfortable with. And yes, I get there's, there's kids that are watching the program that want to idolize some of these players and look up to them. But folks, be honest. What six-year-old hasn't heard that word at least once? I get it's probably not right to say on an everyday basis, but not every athlete can be the perfect role model. Not every athlete is wired that way. Think about Charles Barkley, what he used to say back in the day, I'm not a role model. Not every athlete's like that. You can't have every single athlete be perfect or just the appearance of perfect. That's just not realistic. So again, I think it goes back to, we don't know what the Vanderbilt guy said, and that's just the competitive fire. Again, there's a moral issue, but if we try to do that, we'd have to tie it in with everything else in college athletics, and I don't think you want to go there. So I don't have a problem with that. So my second down is really the people that were furious that that was broadcasted. All right, final, final up for me. I was thrilled to see on Twitter that someone made a Gus Johnson account solely pertaining to his highlights, his calls. And they post a couple a day or one a day or whatever. It's at Gus call every day. Josh Johnson of Fox Sports touched on several times. He is my favorite broadcaster in the industry. He is the reason I got into this business. Someday I hope to meet him. Someday I hope to talk to him. That day could be far away. That day could be soon. But before it's all said and done, I'd like to talk to him. I wish he was still employed by, or actually, I wish he was employed by ESPN. I, he actually might have been employed by ESPN way back in the day. I know there's Sterner highlights on the road against LSU where he's employed, but I don't, I don't, that was a while ago, but one of the highlights that always comes to mind if you're an Arkansas fan was the Joe Adams punt return back in 2012 in the Cotton Bowl against K-State.
0: And he gets it away, Wade and Adams back deep, Adams with it at the 45, Adams skipping Gets outside. Watch out. Hits the sideline. The jet. Touchdown.
1: Arkansas. 51 yards. Man, that was something. That highlight, that win, the Cotton bowl win. That's really the last time you felt good as an Arkansas football fan. Well, not good. You felt great as an Arkansas football fan. All right, Robert from Fort Smith has phoned in. He wants to get in on the Louisville pitcher conversation. Robert, what you got for me, man?
0: Real quick, not the Louisville picture, but Chip Kelly and Bob Stoops' his brother. They put Bob Stoops' brother up in the box for one reason because he was dropping F bombs, and Chip Kelly was told by Notre Dame he needed to stop. So I just want to throw that in there that people did recognize it from a college standpoint as well with coach. So it does happen and you don't want it to, but you know it does, so have a good one.
1: You too, man. Watch a Nick Saban, watch his antics, watch how he is on the sidelines watch the words that spew out of his mouth. Just watch watch the uh, watch an entire Alabama game and the camera doesn't show him that that often when he's angry because they know the words that pop out of his mouth. again you you don't this is where it gets kind of a difficult conversation to get into. You don't want the players and the coaches to necessarily say that like that's the the consensus for most of the people watching the networks and all that. But it happens, and especially in a competitive game like Louisville and Vanderbilt. Tempers are flaring. Emotions are flaring. Emotions are high. Louisville would go on to lose the game. It just happens. And I, again, I'm a guy that loves, I'm the old sports. I always tell Phil, I always tell everyone. I was born in the Ron era when it comes to sports because I enjoy the golden years in so many other sports more. And that was just a part of the game. In so many different sports back in the day. The trash talking. The part of that. And I get what Robert's saying. That they're trying to prohibit it in certain ways. Not prohibit but at least have the appearance of prohibiting it. But I just don't think you can necessarily. Did anyone see Cam Newton on the plane? It's my third down. Cam Newton was on a 10-hour flight from Paris back to the United States. Dude, 6'5". He's got long legs pretty monstrous quarterback, stud, incredible college football player. He tried to pay a a fellow passenger $1,500. So I think he was in coach and he was trying to move into a more luxurious area. First class. Guy said no. I guess $1,500 to him is like a $10 bill to me. I'd be thrilled. That's just incredible to me. And that's a down for me and maybe it's just cuz i'm not the same financial class that that passenger was in but if someone offered me $1500 to change seats on either a crowded plane a crowded bus whatever it may be and i get it's a long flight and i get you want to relax and i get there's certain elements i may not may, or may not be factoring in because i'm young and because i'm i'm spry and i don't have a lot of issues concerning my physical health but i'm taking that $1500 y'all Every single time. Every single dot. And I'm one of the few Arkansans that likes Cam Newton. I know people think about his father Cecil and the, the amount that was requested by him to Mississippi State and how Auburn just apparently, and huge air quotes around this, didn't pay him. He just wanted to go to Auburn because Auburn was a good program and there was no financial compensation that was divvied out or either him or his father when he decided to join the Auburn Tigers. And I know people also reference the Auburn game where Tyler Wilson came in and had the game of his life against them because Ryan Mallett got that concussion and the fumble, the goal line, and the there's a few other plays that aren't popping in my head right now that Arkansas got the benefit, excuse me, not Arkansas, Auburn got the benefit of the doubt that they were able to come away with a victory, even though Tyler was just absolutely incredible, phenomenal, whatever adjective, whatever adverb you'd like to toss in there during that game. He did throw a couple picks late, but for him to come in there in that situation, and you always hear the Gary Danielson call. There's not a backup in the country that can do what he just did or can do that. Just absolutely incredible what he did that day. If only it would have come out with a win. But again, Cam Newton, Didn't get a seat. Had to suffer through, I guess, coach through the remaining 10 hours of flight.
0: You're listening to the Halftime Podcast presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com.